This morning's passage is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Thank you, Caden. Aren't our children awesome here? Amen. It's wonderful. This morning... Uh, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series in the parables, uh, the stories that Jesus told, and we're in Matthew 13 this week, and uh, I'm going to pray for us before we dive in. Father, we give you thanks for your word, that it is life to us. Apart from it, we are lost, but you have given it to us to reveal yourself to us that we might have relationship with you, that we might know what it looks like to walk with you. God, I pray that you would use this word to strengthen and encourage us this morning, that you would allow me, your servant, to get out of your way so that you might reveal yourself more fully. God, give us eyes to see ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. This past summer, Daniel and I spent a lot of time thinking and praying through what is the essence of Christ's central church. How has God uniquely shaped this church and uniquely called us to serve our city? And then starting this fall, we began to share that with you as we preached through the church's vision and core values. Now, why do we go through all of that trouble? The reason we did that is because we, Christ Central Church, in many ways represent a large ship. Think of one of those Viking warships that you've probably seen pictures of before. The ones where all the men are seated in rows and they are each holding on to one of the oars. Now those ships, they could absolutely fly through the water, but only when the entire crew is on the same page. Can you imagine what would happen if one side of the boat was rowing forwards and the other side is rowing backwards? The ship would just spin in circles, right? In order for the ship to be effective, everyone has to be working together as one. When we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... We see that when Jesus arrived on the scene, he did much the same thing that we did back in the fall. He begins by declaring his vision statement. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is declaring, I'm the king, and with my coming, I'm ushering in this brand new kingdom. Come and see. And yet, instead of doing a six-part series on what this vision looks like, Jesus spent the next three years explaining what his kingdom and kingship is all about, culminating in his final lesson, the cross. And while much of the New Testament seeks to answer this question of what is the kingdom somewhat indirectly, our text this morning goes right at it. Here Jesus has pulled aside the disciples and he is, if you will, pulling back the curtain 
to give the disciples an even clearer picture of what his kingdom, this kingdom of God, really looks like. And the purpose for doing this, as we just stated, is so that the disciples can go forth into the lost world, united, rowing as one, together moving toward the glorious fulfillment of this kingdom. So the two parables that we're looking at this morning, they're part of this series, a series of seven parables that Jesus tells to unpack the answer to the question, what is the kingdom? Daniel preached on two of those last week, and this morning we'll be looking at two of the last parables in this series. And in these two concluding parables, Jesus gives us two more crucial characteristics of the kingdom of God. Here Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God is both hidden and priceless. Hidden and priceless. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's begin by looking at the fact that the kingdom of God is hidden. Now, the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, spent three whole years trying to reveal this kingdom informs us that not only is the kingdom hidden, but it's hidden very well, right? It's very hard to find. But what makes this kingdom so hard to find? I think the parables themselves give us some insight into the answer to this question. Just a few verses earlier in chapter 13, the disciples decide to ask Jesus, why do you continue to tell the stories that you do in parables. Why don't you just say what you mean, Jesus? And this is what he says. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You can see part of what's going on there, even while we pray each week that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. What is Jesus saying here? The point that Jesus is making, and it's echoed throughout all of Scripture, is that one of the primary reasons why the kingdom is so hard to find is because finding it requires divine intervention. My children uh, love to play hide-and-seek, don't we all? It's awesome game and my oldest daughter is actually getting pretty good at it and lately when we're playing my son will inevitably come running up to me and he's completely distraught and with as much drama as he can muster up he says daddy I can't find sister anywhere I've looked everywhere he's so upset and I'm here to console him but what he's saying there is is not that sister is not in fact in the house, but what he's saying is that he is convinced that unless I help him, he will never find her. He needs a fatherly intervention. The kingdom of, the he- of heaven works much in the same way. Mirroring what Jesus just said in Matthew 13, he says in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus' point being here, unless dad gets involved, you're not going to find that pearl. And Brothers and sisters, when we become aware of this need of divine intervention to find the kingdom, it should both humble us and embolden us at the exact same time. What do I mean? You see, when my son ultimately finds his sister as a direct result of my much-needed assistance, he always makes the exact same bold but painfully inaccurate declaration. I found you, sister. 
I found you. So often, we as Christians walk around with similarly misguided arrogance and pride. Showing off our beautiful pearl necklace, declaring to the world, look what I found. As if we deserve any credit for having it. Brothers and sisters, for those of you who call yourselves Christians, you must be so careful to not forget that apart from your Heavenly Father's divine intervention, you'd still be searching for the pearl. Amen? And that should humble us immensely. And yet at the same time, this awareness of our need of divine intervention should also embolden the stew out of us. Why? Because it's a fresh reminder that we serve a God who also loves to play hide-and-seek. In spite of the fact that the pearl is very hard to find, our God loves to show it to people. Remember Luke 15, Jesus says, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Any of you remember what it was like before GPS? I know not all of us can go there. I can remember being in high school and having that printed out map quest next to me. And, and Lord help you if you got off of that little map because you were done. You were toast. There was no getting back. There was no rerouting. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit, as Christians, is our GPS. He knows where to go and how to get there, and He is forever with us. I think so often we lose sight of God's forever presence in our evangelistic efforts. Brothers and sisters, it's not up to you to lead your friends, neighbors, family members, co-workers, fellow students to the treasure. That's God's job. Our job is simply to invite people to search with us, trusting that our Holy Spirit GPS will lead us to where we need to go. And it's in light of this church, I don't often push so hard. Maybe I do, actually, but I'm going to push this morning. I want to challenge you to invite someone to our Christmas Eve service this year. I want to challenge you to bring someone with you. Because I've checked my GPS, and apparently the pearl is going to be on display here at Haytai that night. I want you guys to bring someone with you if you can. At least invite someone. One last application while we're at it. If you are here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to reiterate, we are so glad that you're here. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. And I hope and pray that this truth, that apart from God's divine intervention, that you can't find him, does not discourage you. If anything, I think the fact that you are here, to me, is evidence in the fact that God is searching for you that he is longing to take you by the hand and show you where to find this priceless treasure. I hope and pray that you might, by his help, maybe even find it today. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm grateful that we have a God who is seeking and pursuing after each one of us. But church, not only is the treasure so hard to find because we need divine intervention to find it, but it's also hard to find because it's often cover up, covered up by our idols. What do I mean by that? Brothers and sisters, we so often can't find the treasure because in our searching, we stumble across other treasures 
pearls that are not quite as valuable, but valuable enough to cause us to stop looking. I have a confession to make. Uh, Sometimes when I'm playing hide-and-seek with my kids, my kids will go hide, and I will begin counting, and then I get sidetracked, normally by ESPN.com or something of that sort. It's awful. I know, I know. It's shameful, but what happens is eventually my kids will get so disgruntled that they will come out of hiding and find me goofing off on my phone. And then I have to sit there and take the tongue lashing that I deserve. But I wonder, I wonder how many of us began the search for the treasure years ago. And back then we were profoundly focused. There was nothing more important than finding the pearl. And we found it and hid it and found it and hid it. And our life was consumed by this never-ending search for this treasure called the kingdom of God, this new way of life and community and love and hope. And then somewhere along the way, we got distracted. Maybe not by ESPN.com, but by our careers, by our reputation, by our pursuit of a spouse or aspirations to make a difference in the world, our pursuit of good grades or the varsity sports team or the dreams of a perfect Christian family, or you fill in the blank, but whatever flashy trinket it was that caught our eye, before we knew it, we had long since forgotten about the beautiful pearl. Maybe a slightly different spin on the very same problem. It's not that we have forgotten about the beautiful pearl. Oh no, we see it sitting over there. And yet something in your life has so gotten hold of your metaphorical wallet. You've gone so all in on your career or reputation or pursuit of a spouse or pursuit of mercy and justice or dream of a perfect Christian family that in spite of the fact that you can see that beautiful pearl, you simply can't afford it because you can't seem to find a way to get those other things to relinquish their death grip on your wallet on your heart. Just last week, I experienced this reality in a way that was both eye-opening and convicting. I had a friend come to me with a pretty significant financial need. Uh, And I know this guy does not like to ask for help and would not have come to me unless he didn't have any other choice. And yet I found myself incredibly resistant to helping him. And although I did end up helping him, the next day I found myself resenting him for asking. And as, as I was preparing for this sermon and sitting under this text, I began to see what was happening. You see, brothers and sisters, part of the mysterious kingdom treasure is that there's actually more joy in giving than receiving. Shh, don't tell anyone. It's a secret. And I don't know if our economy could handle it if that secret got out. But that treasure was being hidden from me because this other treasure, one that's not really that good, was covering it up. You see, it was the treasure of money and security. As I look back now, I can see how the idols of money and security were exhibiting such a grip on my heart that I couldn't even see the real treasure that was right in front of me. Similarly, not too long ago, I was talking with a dear friend, a sister in Christ from another state, and she was sharing about how all her life she has battled with body image and the idol of outward appearance. 
And she shared how recently she just came to realize that this is just who she is, and instead of fighting, she's just decided that she's going to accept it. And I, and I realized that I will never fully understand her struggle, but nonetheless, I was so deeply saddened by my friend's statement. Because what she was ultimately saying is, she's saying, because this priceless pearl is so hard to find and so hard to hold on to, instead I'm just going to settle for this cheap one that I bought at the dollar store. It should do the trick. Our idols are so effective at hiding and covering up the real treasure, aren't they? I wonder how many of us have given up and become content with our cheap costume jewelry and have given up the search for this priceless treasure that Jesus has so generously offered. Which begs the question, is there any hope for those of us who feel so defeated and discouraged to find the treasure again? Is there hope? And Jesus, knowing our hearts and knowing that we would be asking this very question, gives us the second characteristic of the kingdom. The kingdom is not just hidden, but it's also priceless. And I hope, I hope, that if we can once again come to see the kingdom for what it really is, a priceless gift, that in that rediscovery, we will find the motivation to abandon those cheap pearls to go searching for the good one. I love how Thomas Chalmers says it. He says, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is the expulsive power of a new one. One of my favorite movies of all time is called Dead Poet Society. It's a story of an extraordinary English teacher named Mr. Keating, played by Robin Williams. And he comes to this stuffy New England prep school that he once attended as a boy. And he begins to show the current students a better way. And one such boy in his class is named Neil. And Neil's story is that his whole life he has spent trying to live up to his father's expectations. For Neil, his treasure is to please his daddy. And yet through spending time with Mr. Keating, he is motivated to search for even greater treasure in life. And through this search, Neil discovers his love of acting. And he tries out for the school play, and he's given the lead role in the play. And yet, Neil's father will have nothing to do with it. Acting is silly, it's a waste of time, and he should focus on his studies. So he forbids Neil to be in the play. And so Neil is now faced with this very difficult decision. And yet, the reality is it's ultimately too late for the father. Because Neil has tasted something far more satisfying than that which he has been living for all his life. The approval of his father. Because on stage, Neil is truly alive. He's living out that for which he was made. What we see there, again, as Chalmers said, the expulsive power of this new affection is able to push out that which he had been laying claim to his heart. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see the parallels. Each of us, each one of us is being held captive by an oppressive father. His name is Satan. And his job is to convince you to be content with lovers less wild, with junky jewelry. And yet when we taste the good stuff, the real thing, it is there that we find the strength to cast aside this oppressive father and live into the joyous freedom that we have in Christ. C.S. Lewis says it this way, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, is what Lewis says. And so now we can begin to look at what Jesus means in the parable when he talks of selling all that we have in order that we may buy this priceless treasure. So what is Jesus actually calling us to in the selling of all? Many have assumed here that this means a life of poverty and simplicity. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not in any way critiquing the simple life. I do believe there's obviously some beauty there. But that's not what Jesus is getting at here. Listen to what Calvin says about this call to relinquish all. He says, The gospel does not receive from us the respect which it deserves unless we prefer it to all riches, pleasures, honors, and advantages of the world and to such an extent that we are satisfied with the spiritual blessings which it promises and throw aside everything that would retard our progress. Christ exhorts those who believe in him to deny those things only which are injurious to, the, to godliness, and at the same time permits them to use and enjoy God's temporal favors as if they did not use them. It's a beautiful quote. Jesus doesn't want you to sell everything because there's something super spiritual about being poor. No, he wants you to sell anything and everything that is getting in the way of you buying the good stuff. To use Lewis's words, he wants you to sell your mud pies so you can enjoy a holiday at sea. He wants you to sell your McDonald's stock because he's got this great deal on stock at Nana Steak. And you need to buy it. We don't blindly sell anything and everything. Instead, we relinquish anything and everything that is injurious to godliness. Anything that is hindering you from enjoying the pearl of great price. Paul says it this way, But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ. Brothers and sisters, I hope and pray that you will once again be able to see the immeasurable worth of the kingdom of God. And in seeing that you will regard those cheap pearls as dung and cast them aside so that you may gain Christ. And it's my hope, it's my hope that Christ Central can play a small role in that process. That as you come here each week, you might see the pearl on display, radiating in all its splendor and glory, and that you might be convinced once again to relinquish whatever has laid hold of your heart that is hindering you from enjoying the pearl of great price. Last week I was standing over here on the stairwell and the band was singing the first Noel and I almost lost it right here. I'm glad I was behind the wall. Said that that hath made heaven and earth of naught and with his blood mankind has bought. And I was sitting over there like, no way. You've got to be kidding me. It's too good to be true. And I literally had to pull myself together 
I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe a song, maybe some part of the sermon, maybe the glory of the Lord's table that you're welcome to eat and drink in spite of your brokenness. Maybe more accurately, because of your brokenness, you're welcome. Or maybe it's the embrace of a friend here on Sunday morning or a much-needed prayer. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know the pearl is on display here. And I hope and pray that you find it and enjoy it. I want to conclude this morning by reminding us how Christmas and the Christmas story informs us in much the same way about the kingdom of God. If you remember, the story begins with this hipster named John the Baptist, certainly a foodie and a fashionista long before his time. And he keeps telling everybody, it's coming. The kingdom's coming. Get ready. It's coming. And then it comes, wrapped in rags, in the barn out back, sleeping in a feed trough because mommy and daddy don't have a penny to their name. See, it's hidden, right? This is not your typical royal birth, amen? But although it was hidden, some people found it, those who were looking for it. Remember the wise men? They traveled for miles and miles just to see it. And what do they bring to this child? Priceless gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. I mean, come on, guys, you're supposed to bring like a burp burp cloth or like a monogrammed onesie, but they're just clearly confused, and yet they knew they were beholding a priceless treasure, a pearl of great price. They saw the King of kings and Lord of lords in front of them. Brothers and sisters, I pray that this Christmas season, although it is hidden, that you would find it. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, and that you would see the glory of the kingdom. And that in finding it, you would delight to sell all, everything that might hinder you from enjoying it to the fullest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, there's so many things that serve to hide this treasure, that cover it up, that keep us from enjoying. And we have this oppressive father named Satan who is trying to convince us to be content with junk, things that will never satisfy. And yet you delight to reveal to us this hidden treasure the pearl of great price. God, I pray that in seeing its glory, we would throw off that cheap, junky jewelry, sell it all, so that we might have an unhindered path to enjoy the treasure that is found in your son Jesus. God, I pray that for myself and for each person who's here this morning. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.